0: YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. You know, when, when you all listen to this podcast, when you hit play on this podcast, you never get to see like how long I actually sit in front of this microphone before I even get started just trying to think of a way to get started because sometimes it's hard like if if something funny happened I can I can usually just drum up a story real quick and and kind of you know feed off of that but you see what I mean I have to be in a fun mindset like that and so I'm sitting here this morning and I'm like man how do I get started and and like what do I do and what do I want to talk about. And I must've I've, I've sat here for 30 minutes and I let 30 minutes of my life just go by because I'm looking out my window at my farm and the weather's nice. And I can't get motivated to come up to like, have the right content for you all. And it made me think about something. And it would, that was, that is this, how many times do you want to do something in your life and you just can't get motivated to do it. And so what you end up doing is you end up just sitting around and you end up sulking and you end up laying on the couch or laying in bed. And and that, my friends, that's that depression that's on you. Right. And I run into a lot of people that, that, that say this, they're like, dude, sometimes, man, it's just hard to get going. And you know what the hardest part of all of that is, is just getting going. And I preach that. And I talk about that all the time. Just do something. Something's better than nothing. And I want to tell you what happened to me the other day this exact thing happened to me the other day. I was out here at the farm and I guess as I get a little bit older, I'm not as gung-ho about a lot of things anymore. And there's not a lot that excites me in life anymore. And I, and I dwell on that a lot. And I don't, I know I don't need to. Um, but granted, you know, I'm 44 now. I'm not, I'm, I am not i i do not have the same mindset as a 30 year old. I don't want to go get after it. Like I used to, I do want to like relax to an extent, but relaxation to me, if you listen to that calmest chaos and chaos is calm, if you listen to that episode, relaxation for me is very, very difficult. So when I don't have anything to do or I can't get motivated, I start, I start, like, uh, I start beating myself up. And I don't know if any of y'all do this. I, I, I start feeling guilty for wasting time. And I feel like I should be out doing something, but I can't find the energy to do it. And when I start feeling that heaviness, that weight, and I feel very drowsy in the middle of the day... That's not because I don't, I need coffee. I realize I know what that is. That's that's depression at its finest and it'll get you in the middle of the day. And so the other day I was actually sitting here trying to, um, trying to come up with something to do. All the grass was cut. The horses and donkeys were fed. I didn't really need to do anything. I'm looking at my chainsaw and I was like, I could go cut some trees down, but I've already done that like 350 times. and I'm tired of that. And so I was sitting on the porch rocking, and I was like, dude, I feel like an 80 year old man right now. So I said, fuck this. I'm going to go do something. I got up, I walked inside, and I saw the couch. And I'm going to tell you how toxic the couch is, and how toxic your favorite chair is, and how toxic your bed can be. I actually grabbed a pillow from upstairs, and I said, I'm just going to lay down and I'm going to watch TV because I felt like I had zero energy. My batteries were completely drained and I put the pillow on the couch. I went and got my phone charger, plugged it in by the wall and was literally plugging my phone in. And I stopped and I said out loud to myself, I said, Travis, I go, if you lay down on that couch right now, it's over. The rest of this day is gone and you'll never, you never get to relive this day and you let depression win. I said it just like that. And it took me saying that and it took me verbalizing that to myself to realize how important it was to not lay on that couch. Because what happens is this, you do it one time, no big deal. Next time you're like, you do it again, no big deal. But after a while it becomes habitual. And then before you know it, you let depression beat you every single day and you let it send you to a place of comfort and, um, a place that allows you to be lazy and allows you to be submissive to it, it being depression. And I stood there for a second and I said if I don't get out of this house, I'm fucked. And that's what I did. I said, "You know what? Anything's better than nothing." So I just walked out and I had no plan. I ended up walking right out to my barn. I saw a fishing pole. I grabbed it. I looked at my Polaris. I grabbed the key. I got grabbed my dog Fancy. I said, "Come on, we went. We went one fishing pole, one lure, no no tackle or anything. I knew I needed to get the fuck away from this place. I needed to get as as away from here as quickly as possible. I didn't have to have the answers, but I just needed to go. And that's what we did. We hopped on the Polaris and we hauled ass out of the driveway and we ended up we ended up fishing out of a ditch. Well, I call it a ditch. It's a it's a creek near my farm that runs underneath this little bridge on a dirt road. And we went there and me and Fancy, we fished for like an hour and we had a blast. And then we got done. You know what we did after that? We rode around through a bunch of cornfields. We've spent three hours outside of the house. And when I got back, guess what? It was dinner time. I made dinner and then it was bedtime after that. It was dark. And so I won. I allowed myself to win in the fight against depression. This shit doesn't go away, people. It's going to be with you. And you have to learn how to beat it every single day when it pops up. And I hope that will motivate you. The next time you find yourself sulking in a couch and the next time you find yourself feeling sorry for yourself and I need, I need a drink or I need whatever substance that you need. I hope, you know, you can stop and say, you know what? I can do it without that. And I can press on and I can go find something to do. You know, I talk, uh, I talk with various friends who kind of similar boats. They're of my age range and they've experienced a lot in life because I hang around, you know, the friends that I do have, they've a lot of them, you know, Marine Corps buddies and stuff like that. And they live fast lives and there's not a lot that excites them anymore. So finding excitement is hard. And we always talk about that. We're like, well, when you get bored with something, find something new and throw yourself into it until you get bored with it. It's better than the alternative, which is just sitting around being idle. Because being idle, I think that's worse than anything. I love that saying in, uh, in Shawshank Redemption with Morgan Freeman. And if you've ever seen that, that show, he says, uh, get busy living or get busy dying. And it really is true. You really, you really, when you're when you're fighting depression, you really only have two choices. I used to have a neighbor. We wouldn't see her for weeks at a time, and and when I say weeks, I mean weeks. And this woman, you would think she's dead near. And we'd ask, we'd ask her daughter, we'd be like, Gracie, how's your mama doing? Oh, she's she's all right. And I was like, okay, just check and make sure that bitch is still alive. You know what I mean? Like that's that's how bad it was. And she would just go into that house and lay there for weeks and. I remember thinking, and I was, I was fighting it too. This was years ago. I mean, i shit. I've been fighting this for many years. And I remember thinking if she could just get out of the house, she'd be so much better and get some of this fresh air out here and get some experiences, but she couldn't do that. they ended up moving away. And I don't know where, I think they went to Florida somewhere, but I remember thinking, I hope that never, uh, I hope I never become that. And I think how you become that is by just doing what I was going to do the other day. Ah, well, it's not, it's no big deal. It's just today. I'm just going to lay on the couch today. And then again tomorrow. And then again, the day after that. And before you know it, it's got you and it's got you for weeks inside of your own house. Get up, get out and go do something period. Like I was starting this podcast. Sometimes the hardest part is just getting started. But if you don't get started, nothing changes. And nothing changes, if nothing changes. Does that make sense? Do you understand? If you keep doing the same thing over and over, it's going to be the same thing over and over. I think I think so many times we we need the answers to everything. We don't want to we don't want to go out and experience anything because we haven't done it before, and we need we need validation. Like when you look at reviews for things, well, go online and let's just say hypothetically you want you you were thinking about going to whatever park i just want to go experience this park but you go on review or you go online and you start reading reviews and you start reading other people's opinions of these things now these people may be compl- not cut from the same cloth as you so their experience is not going to be the same i don't want joe bob the banker's opinion of the park i want to go hike but the problem is a lot of people they'll read these reviews on different things and they think well all these people their reviews don't live up to my expectations. So I'm just not going to go do that. And you may have just sold yourself short on a wonderful, beautiful experience. I used to do that all the time when I was out traveling the country all the time, I would look for different trails to hike different parks, and I would read all these negative comments. And I was like, you know what? That's the fucking one I'm going on. I want to go there because, because Joe Bob, the banker said, that he didn't enjoy it or for whatever reason. And I would go and I would enjoy it. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? You know what? He was probably sitting in the parking lot in his fucking car the whole time. And he never got to just get out and enjoy the piece that, or he was on his phone the whole time. And he was hiking with his phone in his fucking face. And he was missing all the wonderful things around him. Sound familiar to a lot of you put your goddamn phones down. I had a friend of mine the other day. I'm going to tell you this story. I was on the road back from Jackson, Tennessee in a Memphis area, and I want to get into what I was doing out there, but I was on the way back and, uh, I get a message from a friend of mine and the message was that he was, um, he was at his limit. He had reached his limit because he had been on call after call, after call, after call, and they were pretty nasty calls. I'm not going to talk about what those calls were because I don't want to pinpoint who he is or what, where it was. But he had reached his limit, and I told him like like I would anybody. And I said, so-and-so, I said, what you need to do right now is you need to go out and you need to go suck a dick. And that's what I said to him. Because <laughs> that's me being me. And then he fires back. He goes, I can't believe you're the guy preaching mental health or talking about mental health awareness. He goes, "That that's just ridiculous that you would say that. So I immediately – he actually – pulled my punk card. Cause I was like, Oh shit, I was just joking. I didn't really mean like, I didn't give a shit about your feelings. That's who I am. I just joke like that. Right. So I call him up and he's laughing. He's like, dude, I was totally kidding. So I'm actually glad I had, I called him because we had a wonderful conversation and he actually went into depth about the, the calls that he went on. And I felt, I felt horrible for him because I know, I know what that feels like. And he said, man, I just need a break I and, and, and I'm close to, um, retirement and all these things. And I just, you could tell the dude was burnout. Right. <clears throat> so I told him like this, I said, what you need to do is this, you need to take next week off. I don't give a fuck. Don't have the, don't have all of the answers. Don't even try to convince the the command staff that you need time off take the time off. If you have it in, your in, in there, whether it be sick time, whatever it is, you need to take it off because I'm going to tell you what happened to me. That's exactly how I felt the last day that I went to work. And I always tell people when I'm teaching courses, when I'm doing post-traumatic purpose, use me as an example of what not to become and how not to be because I lost my career. I didn't get to walk away proudly. I walked away in shame because i let this thing go unchecked and i didn't take care of myself and it caused me to lose the career that i really truly loved and wanted to be a part of for the next 30 years and i saw that happening with him i could hear it in his voice i could hear the way that he was talking and we've had multiple phone conversations before this i could hear his voice i could hear the tension in his voice i could hear his gl- his jaws getting tense. When he would talk to me, I could close my eyes and picture him sitting there, rubbing his hands together, pinching his fingers between one another, um, squeezing his hands. Like when he's talking, when you're very anxious and you're upset and you're, you're just mad at the fucking world. I could feel all that coming through that phone. And I told him, I was like, dude, you may not realize how, how important these next words I'm going to tell you are. Because you may have never been there. And he told me, I've I've never felt like this way. And that's what happened to me. I never felt that way. And I went to work anyway. I told him, I said, if you don't take the next days off, a couple days off, if something happens to you, you're going to regret it. Because take it from a guy who's been there. And we had, you know, we talked about that for a minute. And uh, he texts me later and he says, yeah, you know what? He says, "I I took a day off. I took the week off. And He says, man, I'm feeling so much better now. And he goes, I was being short with everybody around me and I felt like that was going to carry over obviously to the workplace and it would have. And I said, good. Now, while you're texting me right now, throw your fucking phone in a drawer because I also saw he was uploading some stuff to social media, which tells me he's paying attention to what's going on in the world. When you get like that, when you get to that point, you have to unplug because You got to take all of the toxicity out of your body. When they go to work on operate on somebody with cancer, they don't just try to cut a little bit of the cancer out. They try to cut all of it. And it's like I talk about in post-traumatic purpose, how I talk about our brains being a sponge with, um, or excuse me, how our brains are a water balloon. When we deal with a suck it up mentality, I go through all these different things that a water balloon goes through when you're filling it up, filling it up. And if you never, offload if you never take that water balloon and squeeze that water with water was the trauma if you never squeeze it and let some of it out ultimately what's going to happen is your balloon be in your brain it's going to filter capacity and it's going to bust and that's what happened to me so what he needed to do was offload all of that trauma all of that toxicity and take a break and do what we call decompress you don't just decompress a little bit you have to decompress all the way so you can be as healthy as you can possibly be when you return to duty. Let's talk about Jackson, Tennessee and my trip to Memphis. All right. Because I th- I feel like, I feel like all of this is relevant. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to be a part of the 89th firemen's association um, conference in Jackson, Tennessee this uh, last week. And what it was, was, firefighters, not just firemen. That was the name that named it a hundred fucking years ago. So they just decided to not change it. So before you attack me it's firefighters and fire women, listen, this is, I'm just calling it what it's called. All right. And they're going with their, their history and they're just it is what it is. So I went to this event and it was an amazing event and it was held at the double tree in uh, Jackson, Tennessee. And I've already told you the whole story about my comedy career starting in Jackson, my first paid gig um, and one of my last real gigs was was the other night. So we go do this event. We did post-traumatic purpose during the day, and it was beautiful because there were firefighters from across the state of Tennessee there. There were dispatchers, there were EMS personnel, there were a few spouses in there, and it was a beautiful thing. And I actually got to go back to the site of where the comedy club was that I, I did my first paid professional um comedy event in. And when I got there, I was saddened to see. The building wasn't there anymore. It was just a slab with, or not even a slab. They took the slab up. It was just weeds. (laughs) And so I went and stood where the stage once was. And I did a story on my Instagram and just kind of showed where everything, like the layout of the place, it was pretty neat. But then guess what happened? Guess what happened? This was um, my first day off when I was there. I didn't know anybody there. I didn't really have anybody to hang out with or do anything with. And that guess what, guess what started happening? That depression started getting on me, and I started getting that heavy feeling. Not feeling sorry for myself or anything, but I started getting that heavy. Well, I just go back to the hotel and I'll just lay in bed and watch. And guess where I started going? I started wandering back to the damn hotel, and then I stopped. I actually stopped right there in that parking lot, and I said, "You know what? If I go back to that hotel, it's over." I said, "It wins again, and I got to do something, and I need to do something drastic." And I always wanted to go to Graceland. I always, you know, i never, I'd been to Memphis before. I'd never taken the time to go to Graceland and see Elvis Presley's home. And, you know, I grew up listening to Elvis. I grew up, my father, my uncle was huge Elvis. It was always in the background. I know all of Elvis's songs. Like it was just, and I love it. So I said, you know what? I got nothing else to do. And I got the whole day and I'm going to spend the whole day in Memphis and try not to get shot because they're on the first 48 every fucking day. If you watch the first forty eight I know I feel like I know all of the detectives in the homicide division at Memphis Police Department That's how much they're on the first forty eight so anyway, I jump into my my minivan yeah fuck y'all I said minivan i y'all can judge me if you want I get in my minivan and I roll hard not it's like an hour it's an hour to Memphis and so I drove there. I pull up to the gate, I pay my $10 to park, and I'm excited. I'm actually excited. I get in and I was like, man, it's the middle of the week. It's Thursday. I'm gonna um I'm gonna be here all by myself. Dude, when I pulled in that parking lot was packed. I was like, how many fucking people are coming to see Elvis's house? I knew a lot of people, but it wasn't you know, full-fledged summer yet. When I got in there, there was a line, it took me 30 minutes just to get my tickets, right? And then after I got my ticket, It took another hour to get on the shuttle bus. And the whole time, the whole time, something was telling me, just get out of here, dude. Just get out of here. Chalk it up. Call it. You tried. Go back to your hotel. It was pulling me. I'm telling you, like this depression thing. It will pull you back to its world. And you got to fucking run from it, stay, fight, do whatever you can to keep it away from you. And I held my ground. That's what I did. I said, no, I'm going to stand in this line. I'm going to get on that shuttle bus with a bunch of strangers. I'm going to be uncomfortable. But when I get to Elvis's house, I'm just going to walk around and I'm going to soak it all in. And that's what we did. And if you've never been to Graceland, it's a pretty cool spot. It's only 13 acres. I thought it was bigger than that. Um, But the house is like 17,000 something square feet, 17,500. You only get to tour the downstairs, though. I didn't know that. And I'm glad I didn't know that because here's why. If I would have read the reviews, All right. If I would have read the reviews and read other people's um, reviews saying, well, you can't go upstairs and that's where he died and he died in a bathroom up there and people want to see the bathroom. They want to see his bedroom. Honestly, I probably would have been like, I'm not, I'm not going there to just tour the downstairs of some fucking house. I don't want to do that. That's what I'm getting at. I went and did my own thing anyway, but I'm glad I didn't read the reviews because it probably would have, would have made my, um, made me just realize, yeah, you know what? I don't want to put all that time and effort and money into it and go out there and not be able to do the full thing. But dude, I got so much out of that tour. I'm glad that I went. So fuck people with their negative reviews, right? I go, and that's what they say. Also for every negative review out there, there's like 10,000 people or maybe I'd exaggerate, but for every negative review, there's a hundred people that probably didn't leave a great review or a review because I'm I'm not a guy. I don't leave reviews. When I have a great time somewhere, I just have a great time. I don't leave reviews because I don't spend my life on the fucking tattletale. Or, I don't know. Anyway. What I'm getting at is this. We get on the bus. I finally get on the bus. We go over to Graceland. We're actually on Elvis's property. And it was surreal, man. It was really cool. And I got to walk through that whole bottom side of that house. And I don't... I don't care if you only get to walk through the bottom of the house, man, I grew up in a trailer. The trailer was so small. You walk in the front and you fall out the back. You ever, you know what I mean? Like, and you actually walk in this man's house and you're in the living room, you're in the kitchen where they, where they had meals, the dining room, and you get to see the jungle room and his TV room and go outside and see his racquetball court and his trophy room and his cars. And all. I mean, it's just really cool experience. But while I was there, it honestly, it made me kind of sad because I started thinking about his life. Now, I didn't, I didn't realize Elvis was only 42 when he died. For some reason, I thought he was in his late fifties. And when I found out he was only 42 and his daughter was only nine, that's me right now. I'm 44. My daughter's eight and six. And I started thinking about how ripped off I would be right now. If this was, if this whole thing was snatched from me and it, and it instantly made me want to be better. And it made me want to enjoy moments and memories even more. And I talk about this shit all the time, but I'm telling you for whatever reason, if it's not staring you in the face and it's right in front of you, we take life for granted. We always do that. Every time there's a tragedy, people say, hold your children tighter, tell people you love them because you just never know. And it's like, yeah, that, that is true. But you would think people in these professions and the professions that we go through that that we're in, we would take that more seriously and i do to to an extent but still even then going to elvis's place it had that massive impact on me so much that ever since then i've been thinking about my own mortality nonstop. not because i'm afraid of it but because i want to make the most of it i want to make the most of my time and my family's time And that's all I care about. I don't give a fuck about anything else because none of it matters. This guy was the biggest thing on the planet at the time. And he just gone. He just ripped off of the earth and his family was just left to kind of deal with his stuff. And you see his, you see his personality in that entire house. They have the music playing when you, when you take the tour on these little um, headphones that you do. And welcome to my world is playing. Welcome to my world. Won't you come on in? I love that song and it made me start playing it every time I pull up to the gates of my farm and I stop and I sit there and I play the beginning of that song before I drive through. I actually, I shared it in a story the other day because it makes me thankful for everything that I have. And it, I started thinking about my farm being my own Graceland granted. It's nothing like that, but it is my Graceland because when I heard Elvis say in the introduction of that, he said, uh, something about welcome to Graceland. When people ask me about the happiest times in my life, it was always here. And you can see that in the reels where they're playing his life and they're showing video clips of him. you can see how happy that dude was. But in the same sense, I think about, because I start thinking about it in in a more um, cynical way. I know through knowing about Elvis, he was on a lot of uppers and downers and and pain pills and all this. And I wonder out of the 20 years that he got to spend there, he only had 20 years there. He bought it in 57. He died in 77, right? Or 22 years. Maybe he bought it in 55, but you get what I'm saying. He didn't spend his whole life there. Well, half of his life. But he wasn't like my dad, who's a 70-year-old man who spent – all of his time in one place. He only got 20 years out of this place. And I think about that out of that 20 years that he had, think about the traveling that he was doing. He was touring constantly. All right. And then when he got home, they say he slept most of the time during the day and he was up at night. How much did he really truly get to enjoy that place and ask yourself in your life, how much of your life are you truly getting to enjoy? And I think we talked about this on a different episode. If you have eight hours a day at work. And if you have an hour a day commute one way, so so two hours commute, that's 10 hours a day of your life. That's just passing you the fuck by 10. Now you only get 14 more hours. So you go home, you get ready for, for, for the night you cook in, you're hanging out with your family for maybe an hour or two. Then you got to get ready for bed and all that stuff. And then you end up sleeping another eight hours a day. How much of your life are you enjoying? That's very important to ask yourself because the answer should be all of it. You should get to enjoy all of it and you should be putting yourself in a position to where you get to enjoy every single hour of your day. And if you don't get to enjoy it, it's be because that's your choice because you choose to like, be like, you know what? Fuck this hour. I'm going to hang out and not do anything and I'm just going to be bored. It just put things in perspective and I think, Keeping things in perspective is the hard part for people. It is for me. It takes doing things like that. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I got outside of my comfort zone and I went and did something because, check it out, it made the rest of my week better. Do you understand? By me going out and doing something like that, it put the rest of my week in perspective and it helped me be a better person. It helped me be a better father. It helped me be more tolerable because I took the time in the day I spent some money on myself. I was a little bit selfish. It's not cheap going to Graceland. I ate like a fucking King because we were at the King's place. I spent the $77 to go through it. I spent the $10 to get in. I spent the $12,000 it took for round trip for an hour, two hour round trip and gas. right? And I did something for myself that made me better the following week. And I'm still good. I'm still sitting on cloud nine because of that. I've been listening to Elvis ever since I've been home and it's made me fucking happy. And it made me relive a lot of childhood moments. It made me sit here the other night, having dinner with my family with him in the background. It made me reflect on my childhood being at my uncle's place, working on cars with Elvis playing in the background. And it brought all these beautiful memories flooding back to me. And then And then last night I watched Fox news and I woke up this morning mad and I woke up this morning feeling like the world is on fire. And I woke up feeling like this world sucks in that what's happening to our world. What are we doing? And you know, that whole way you start feeling when you pay attention to the news. And then I realized right then I said, that's why I don't watch the fucking news. I watch it one day in the last month And the one time I watch it for an hour was about the insurrection shit. The one time I watch it, I feel like everything's falling apart and it sends me into panic mode inside and I already have enough shit to deal with. I don't need more. And that's why I tell people that have anxiety, who have depression, who have post-traumatic stress problems, get as much of the toxicity out of your life as possible. Try to get all of it out of your life. You don't need it. Give a shout out to my brother, Ray Ray. If you're listening, I'm not going to say where Ray Ray works, but I'm going to tell you all about Ray Ray. Ray Ray is a beautiful firefighter. He's an older firefighter. He's one of the most gorgeous firefighters I've ever seen in my life. Ray Ray has curly flowing hair that goes down to his shoulders. And I first met Ray Ray when I was at a conference and he was, it was a state conference that I was speaking at and Ray, <laughs> Ray Ray was at this conference and I was, I remember sitting there looking, I was like, who in the fuck has hair like that? This is not 1982. And then I found out that dude is on the job. He tucks that beautiful hair into a Nomex hood. Nomex, if you don't know what that is, that's our flash hoods. Those are what firefighters wear to keep their neck and ears protected. And then he puts all that up underneath a helmet and he goes and he goes face to face with the dragon. And then when he comes back, I know he has a blow dryer at work because the shit is gorgeous. I wish I had a picture of this motherfucker. Ray Ray, I tell him I went up and I hugged him. All right. So obviously Ray Ray, he's he's in Tennessee. All right. Because I just saw him. I saw him in Jackson and uh, he doesn't work in Jackson, but I saw him there. And I went up and gave him a hug. And I was like, man, I'm so glad to see you. And uh, when I hugged him, you could smell the shampoo in his hair like he. This motherfucker is a walking VO5 shampoo commercial. I'm telling you right now. And I told Ray Ray at a comedy event. He was at a comedy event a long time ago. I said, dude, you're the kind of man that I would pay good money to watch fuck. Not to be a pervert, just because like I think it would just be beautiful to see the sweat glistening off of Ray Ray. Is, we have like a gold necklace, like, like a gold chain flapping, and just to watch his hair like a junior Michael Bolton, if you will. Just get after it. And I just... I don't know. I think it would be like poetry in motion. So, Ray, Ray, it was good to see you, my man. Um, If you're listening, I don't know if you are or not, but if you're listening, I'm glad I texted you last night because I got your number from somebody else, and uh, I was thinking about you, man. I just wanted to check on you, but I love you. I Always talk about hypervigilance and how exhausting it is. I was on my way back from uh, from Jackson last week, and I stopped at a subway, and I just want to enjoy my sandwich. And I was like, you know what? You, this is me being me. I don't like being around um, chaotic environments anymore, right? Because of the hypervigilance, because it, I don't get to relax. And I said, you know what? I backed my car, my, my minivan. I know y'all hating, but I backed my minivan into a very strategic location within the parking lot to where I could see the entire parking lot who was coming and going. And I had multiple um, routes of uh, egress so I could get out of there if needed be. Am I overthinking it? Yeah, (laughs) but this is true. This is, this is, this is how hypervigilant people live. I walk in the subway and I said, you know what? I'm going to force myself to sit here today and eat because I was planning on going and eating in my van. I don't like to eat when I drive. So I sat down in the subway and I was eating. And of course I was watching the door and I'm about halfway through my sandwich and I see a man walk in. And you don't know these days. You just don't know. All right? I see this man walk in. And I'm watching him. I am criminally profiling the man. All right? I do that with everybody I see. I'm just watching and I'm seeing your mannerisms. I'm seeing how you carry yourself, how you prevent, how you present yourself. Um, I'm watching your clothing. Um, that's what police do. You can't take it out of them. That's, that's a survival instinct, right? I said criminally profiling. It's no different than an animal, a deer profiling a human. They know we're fucking dangerous. You ever watch them when you walk near them, they're gone, right? They know we can hurt them. They don't give us an opportunity. So watch this man walk in. And it was just like the Arby's incident a long time ago that I talked about on this podcast. And uh, when I was in Chattanooga, Tennessee, so, I'm sitting there, and I notice on this man's right side i see I see his shirt bulging dude i'm I'm a huge second amendment guy, but I'm also like, "Carry your shit if you're gonna carry your shit, The whole point of carrying a concealed weapon is so nobody knows you have it and it's almost like the dude was carrying it so people would know and and I saw how bulky it was, and I knew I was like that's a forty five all day long and I wasn't gonna say anything, but I start walking out the door, and he's coming out too, and I go what you carrying? Are you carrying a 45? And he looked at me, he goes, how'd you know? And I go, well, that's all it could be being that big underneath your shirt. And he goes, well, you you're right. It's a 45. And I like it because of this. And then he started going about the knockdown power and all this. And I was like, fuck, now I'm in a conversation with this toolbox. But what I'm getting at is what if, what if that guy would have come in there to cause everybody harm? Okay. There were other people eating in there. You know how many other people knew that that man had a weapon on him? Zero, other than me. I was the only person that knew that guy had a weapon on him. And if I wouldn't have been there, if people would have walked in to a spotlight, if he'd walked into a spot like that and wanted to do harm, nobody would have been paying attention and they would have been victims, just like that. What makes you a victim is your lack of situational awareness. I'm not saying that everybody that has situational awareness is never a victim, Okay. But the chances are, are fucking less likely if you if your head's on a swivel. The, the downside of that is it's exhausting. So where's the trade-off? It's exhausting when I'm sitting down with friends or family trying to have a meal, and that's all I'm thinking about are the threats. I don't know how to not be like that. I'll talk about that in Post Traumatic Purpose. It wears me out, um, and it wears everybody else out around me because you, you just can't have fun and you're constantly on edge. I don't know. I don't have an answer for how to not be hypervigilant. But then I think about it. I'm like, would I rather be this way or would I rather be unknowing? And I can't answer that either because I think unknowing and, and living my life like there's no threats out there. Maybe it would be fun. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have panic attacks. Maybe I wouldn't have um, anxiety. Maybe I wouldn't have stress that I have. Maybe I would be able to enjoy things more with my family. But I, I don't have that luxury. I only have what I've, the cards that I've been dealt. I've only been trained and lived real-world scenarios like this. So my training and experience have taught me to be this way. So how can we be healthy and be this way? And I think it's it's... It, you, it has to be a conscious effort. We have to make the effort not to let our guard down, but to not be on so on edge that you can't get comfortable either. I work on it and it's very difficult. Um, I'm much better when I'm by myself than when I'm with my family. I know a lot of times, like when I'm with my family, And they're in a car with me or something when we're driving, I'll get somewhere and I'll stop and I'll just, I'll just exhale because it's, I'm exhausted because I was on high alert for 30, 45 minutes driving down the interstate because my kids are in a car with me. And I'm not like that when I'm by myself, something happens to me, it is what it is. But when I get to where I'm going, I'm like, I can actually take a breather. I want, I want to talk about being in the moment and, and living in that moment because It's so important for me to be able to live in moments and not have that fear. The other day when I was fishing on the bridge with my girls, we're in the middle of nowhere. We're in the country, all right? We're on a dirt road fishing off of a bridge. Don't think I didn't have my Glock sitting there with me because I don't know who could or could not come up that dirt road, and I don't know what kind of harm they could bring. And don't think I don't have extra magazines within arm's reach. So not only am I carrying a weapon with me, and I got a machete there and I got a knife close by. Like, you know what I mean? There's multiple weapons around me and I got a trouble hook on my fucking fishing line that I'll stick in your eye. You know what I mean? And guess what? Nothing happened. That's that's how it always is. But I got to stop. Like I, I got to be able to live in the moment with my kids because I look back at my father and the things that he did, and he didn't live his life like this because he didn't come from where I came from either. He didn't have the same experiences as an adult that I had in life. And I want to tell you one of the most memorable things about my father was this. I remember walking down a dirt road. We were, I think I was 12 years old and we lived down this long dirt road. It was a mile and a half long and it had just rained and the ditches were full of water and the water was actually actually flowing it was draining and my dad and I were just walking and we stopped and he goes you want to have a boat race and i said what are you talking about and he picked up these two sticks and you know what we did with these two sticks we pretended like they were boats and we put them in the water and we let the the little ditch water the these little current of the moving water, race our boats down the stream. And I don't know if my dad remembers that or not, but I do. See, that doesn't, the reason I say that is that doesn't sound like a very impactful moment in a child's life. That doesn't sound like something that should stand out. When I think back of my life as a child spending 18 years at home with my father, that's not the memory that should come back to me. But that is, that's something that that's one of my fondest memories because it was so simple and it was so innocent. And my father, as, an, as, an, as a man, I don't know if he remembers that or not. I'm going to ask him. But he probably went on to forget about that. And this is the reason I bring that up is this. There are so many impactful moments that we have with our children throughout their lives and so many things that we can do that make a memory for them that we think is going to be insignificant so we don't fully immerse ourselves in the moment with them and we rob them of these moments. How do you know what moments are going to be meaningful to your children? You don't know. And I think about that constantly when I'm out here with my girls and I'm trying to do stuff. When I'm tired and I can't fucking stand to even get up and walk because I'm am an old dad, man. I'm 44, and that, I'm not saying I'm old, but I'm an older father. I didn't have my kids when I was 20, and I don't have the fucking energy that I had when I was 20. You know, I'm out of an age now. It's like, dude, I I kind of want to chill out, man. It's three hours till sundown. I need to fucking relax. But these girls are wearing me out. And I think about that. And I think about when I to go to tell them, no, like daddy, let's go fishing. Daddy, let's go on a Polaris ride. Daddy come ride the golf cart with, us. and I'm like, no, no. And I'm like, nope, I can't. I got to fucking do it because you never know what beautiful memory it's going to create for them. So when you're tired and you're run down from a long day and you just want to relax and your kids want to do something with you, make that memory with them put your hypervigilant bullshit to decide if you can and make a memory. And I, I'm, I'm using my fishing example the other day because we're standing on a bridge trying to fish and my girls are watching me, but I'm, I'm too worried about what's not even coming down the dirt road. And I'm worried about where my extra rounds of ammunition are. And I'm worried about how quick I can get that blade out if my weapon fails me. And I wonder what I'm going to do with my girls. We're on this little dirt road. If somebody comes up here and hurts me and takes me out, and if I'm out of the fight, where does that leave them? And that worries the shit out of me. And it robbed me of that moment. It robbed me of being 100% in the moment with them because I was 100% hypervigilant, and I was 100% painting a picture of something that didn't even happen. Tom Petty said, most of the things I worried about Never happened anyway. And just like depression, hypervigilance is a constant, constant battle. Stay alert, stay aware, be vigilant, but don't let it control your life to the point where you don't have a fucking life. And that's what I'm doing. I'm letting it control me to the point I don't have a life sometimes. And I could potentially be robbing my children of those beautiful memories that we could be making. Don't do that so what do we take away from today's episode I don't know um, I would I would like to think that maybe if you're in a rut and you just need a, a push and maybe your wheels are just spinning and you're you know stuck in that slick mud and you just need some traction that maybe today's episode could have been that traction you needed to just you know what just go do something and I mean I need that often and that's that's one of the things I don't the thing with me is I don't have anybody telling me, I don't have anybody pushing me to do that. And, uh, I'm hoping that I can do that for you if you're in that, in that position. So I know, I know it works for me when, when I tell myself, when I'm like, all right, recognize what it is, what's going on with you right now and get away from it and go be productive. And and it's amazing at how that little bit of production can influence the rest of your day or the rest of your week and influence those people around you as well. So get after it. Don't look for all the answers. You don't have to have the answers. Just go, go do something. All right. I love y'all. Thank you.